podcast on Sunday night so we can talk some NFL, Browns and Bengals, Battle of Ohio. Wasn't much of a battle. Browns got the template for how they can be a really, really difficult football team the rest of the season, although they got a lot of ground to make up in the AFC North. Bengals, hmm, now they have their own issues. Brownies bounce back from two straight losses. Now the Bengals must do the same. And a weird weekend in college football where pretty much every good team looked bad. We will discuss, and also with a faith portion at the end of the podcast. Thank you for listening. It is the We Tackle Life podcast. I'm Bruce Hooley. You can do yourself a favor by patronizing my friends at Hemisphere Coffee Roasters. They have the best coffee, and they have a unique mission. They help coffee growers around the world pump money into their local economies and help people. Now, what do you get out of it? Well, great coffee, for one, and a 15% savings when you order at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com and use the promo code WeTackleLife. The coffee comes from Indonesia, Thailand, Nicaragua, and other foreign countries where Paul, the man behind the genius of Hemisphere Coffee Roasters, tandem efforts of business and ministry, Paul evaluates the coffee. And I'm not talking about just a little box. They buy a bunch of it, ship it here in big shipping containers. Yes, the kind that are stacked up in uh, ports of call around the U.S., but Hemisphere is not running out of coffee anytime soon, so get it and get it now and get it at a 15% savings. HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com, many different flavors. Do not sleep on the chocolate either. Number one, because, well, it'd be messy sleeping on chocolate, but number two, because it's delicious and it's non-GMO and it's gluten-free and it's sugar-free and it's every kind of free except cost-free. you got to pay for it. But it's well worth it. You will love it. Made from a coffee cover crop called Cocao. Very healthy for you and delicious. That's available at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com as well. Free shipping on orders of $30 or more. Let's start with the Buckeyes. Wow. 26-17 against Nebraska. Now, Nebraska is eventually going to beat somebody. But there's like a level of somebody Nebraska can beat. And Ohio State is above that level. Although I will admit, when C.J. Stroud fumbled the ball late in the game, I was like, wow, this could happen. Then, of course, Ohio State dove on the fumble, and they got their fourth field goal from Noah Ruggles, and they're nine points ahead, and wasn't going to happen for Nebraska on this day. But there for a while, it was like, what is going on? Why can't Ohio State run it? Why is Ohio State throwing it 54 times? What is with the two interceptions from C.J. Stroud? And how is Nebraska sticking around in this game? But they did. Kudos to them. I think it'd be a mistake for them to fire Scott Frost. First of all, Scott Frost wants to be there. Who else wants to be there as much as Scott Frost? Who's as invested in Nebraska as Scott Frost is? What do you think he forgot how to coach? People, I say this all the time. I even said it of Greg Schiano. Coaches don't get stupid. Now, sometimes they just don't work where they are. Harbaugh is not working at Michigan At the level Michigan expects Harbaugh to work, given Harbaugh's salary. But Scott Frost at Nebraska, you're not going to do any better than him. Michigan State, we're going to do any better than Mark D'Antonio. Wisconsin's not going to do any better than Paul Christ. Illinois is lucky to have Brett Bielema. Look at Beals. He won another game against Minnesota, which that's not good for Ohio State that Minnesota lost because now Ohio State's best win is over eh, who? Um... Penn State, they're not ranked. Uh, Nebraska, it's not a best win. It's a win. It's not a best win. Not when you beat them by nine. Uh, hmm. Well, Ohio State beat Tulsa worse than Cincinnati did, but everybody struggled this weekend. So back to the Buckeyes for a second. I uh, don't understand the throwing it 54 times. Don't understand that, particularly with Garrett Wilson out. 
Um, Got to be more committed to the run than that. Ryan Day knows that. My guess is Ryan Day will say on Tuesday that uh, he got a little off his uh, ideal ratio of run to pass. But, hey, they completed 15 of those passes to Jackson, Smith, and Jigba. Ohio State is ridiculously deep to wide receiver position. I do not understand why some program is going to go out and hire an offensive coordinator somewhere or a defensive coordinator from somewhere, a mid-major or even a major, even a Power 5 school. Somebody this year in a Power 5 is going to hire a guy who's never been a head coach, but he's a coordinator and uh, he's doing a good job as a coordinator. Why somebody wouldn't come in and offer Brian Hartline a boatload of money to come and be their head coach is beyond me. Do you doubt that Brian Hartline can recruit? Do you doubt that Brian Hartline can coach wide receivers? You say, well, ah, you know, you can't be a head coach, Bruce, being a wide receivers coach. Really? Tell that to Dabo Sweeney. Dabo Sweeney was Clemson's wide receiver coach before they made him head coach. Somebody ought to pay Brian Hartline like four to five million dollars to go in and coach their team because this guy can recruit and he can coach. And Jackson Smith and Jigba, just the latest proof of all that. 240 yards receiving for this true sophomore. He leads Ohio State in receiving and in yards and in yards per catch and in yards per game. Of course, the 240 helps that, but 50 catches, 888, 98.7 yards a game, and 17.8 yards a catch. That's nuts. Garrett Wilson sat out. I'm not going to say they didn't miss him. Of course they missed him. Garrett Wilson's a tremendous player. But Ohio State, this is the problem. This is the problem playing Ohio State. Hey, Garrett Wilson's out. Great. Ooh, we kept Travion Henderson in check. Wonderful. Chris Olave didn't kill us. What about Njigba? Oh, 240 yards from Jackson Smith and Jigba. Do you have any idea how hard Nebraska has to work offensively to gain 240 yards? This is why Ohio State is way above everybody else in the Big Ten, why they're going to absolutely smack Purdue, smack Michigan State, smack Michigan. The Big Ten does not have anybody who is on Ohio State's level. Ohio State's going to make the playoff. They should make the playoff. I think they had issues in the playoff when they encounter an offense that can score like theirs or a defense like Georgia, which I just don't know that Georgia's defense is one that Ohio State could uh, get after and expose. They could. They might. It wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't shock me. But it also wouldn't surprise me if Georgia held them kind of relatively in check because, I mean, after all, Minnesota did and Nebraska did and um, Oregon kind of did. And Georgia's way better than all three of those. And Penn State kind of did, too. So we'll see. But Ohio State's fine. They beat Nebraska on the same day that everybody else around the country struggled. Everybody struggled. Well, not everybody. Georgia smoked uh, to victory in its game. But, you know, Bama beat LSU 20-14. to 14. Uh, Michigan State, which I, could, I told you last week, Sparty's a fraud. They lost to Purdue. Purdue's beat two top five teams because both top five teams they beat are frauds. Iowa and Michigan State, neither one of them will be in the top 15 at the end of the season. Um, maybe top 10. Oregon, 
beat Washington by 10. Michigan beat Washington way worse than that. Uh, Oregon is just like Oregon, like dumbs it down for everybody. They play high state wins by nine. Cincinnati wins by eight. And here's the funny thing to me. So I saw Colin Cowherd's little rant about, I watched every play and I like Colin, but Colin, his rant was, I watched every play of Cincinnati and Tulsa. Don't talk to me, Cincinnati, about being screwed over in the playoff standings. You're not a top. Okay, fine. Yeah, they look not great against Tulsa. But first of all, they were never in danger of losing. Tulsa got down 28 to what? 14, 13. So that game's over. Cincinnati's got a chance to like score one more and like make it look you know, pretty impressive. They didn't, but Tulsa's never going to win that game. Conversely, when Stroud fumbled, when Bama is up six in the fourth quarter, are you thinking, I mean, that's one play away right there. So it's funny to me that Cincinnati cannot get the same kind of um, assessment that all the other teams get that we presume are better. I know this. I have seen it many times in college football. You have seen it many times in college football. The team that is told it has no chance, the team that is told it has no chance, Ohio State against Miami in 2002. Florida against Ohio State in 2006. The team that is to Ohio State against Alabama in 2014, the team that is told it has no chance is the team you do not want to play. How many, like who? Uh, Central Florida against Auburn. Cincinnati last year against Georgia. A lot of these games, man, when you're told you got no chance, mm, it does something to you. And the other team, the team that's favored, they don't consciously look down. Like Miami didn't look down on Ohio State. Well, maybe Miami did. They were so cocky. But most of these teams like don't look down on their opponent, but that seeps in. Ah, oh, you know what that is? That's that rat poison Nick Saban talks about. That's poison. It's rat poison. By the way, happy birthday, Nick Saban. 70 years old. Hoo-hoo-hoo. Still getting it done. Nick Saban at Alabama. So, um, Cincinnati's not going to get the break. They barely held off Alabama for number two in the country. Ohio State fell. Oregon hopped over them. Why? Oregon beat Washington by 10. That's like super impressive. I would say beating Nebraska at Nebraska is harder than beating Washington at Washington. Washington's fallen off a cliff uh, here recently. But uh, everybody looked kind of eh in college football this week. Michigan Michigan didn't look eh. Michigan beat Indiana 29-7. to I'm kind of surprised at that ninth-ranked Wake Forest, man, Wake Forest is ninth in a country. <laughs> That's the old joke. What kind of country are we if Wake Forest is ninth? Notre Dame beat Navy. Toughest Navy defense I've ever seen. Luke Holtz, Lou Holtz would say that was a bad Lou Holtz. Uh, Oklahoma State, 11th in a country. They beat West Virginia 24-3. We got the big hoo-ha showdown in the Big 12 this week. Oklahoma against Baylor. Neither one of them can play a lick of defense. Um, and 14 Texas A&M over Auburn, 13-20-3. So nothing too earth-shattering in uh, college football except for Purdue's win over Michigan State. Now here's the thing with Purdue. They're going to throw it, throw it, throw it, throw it, throw it. 3.30 kick against Ohio State. Uh, you're probably going to get out of there about eh, 7.15. <laughs> you 
Ohio State's going to try to establish the running game. Michigan State, uh, they ran it okay. Kenneth Walker had, you know, an okay game. 23 carries, 146 yards. I guess that's better than okay, but he only had one touchdown. So Purdue, it was back and forth. Purdue kind of kept Kenneth Walker from killing him. Can Purdue keep Travion Henderson from killing him? Eh, I don't know, maybe. If they do, uh, and Aiden O'Connell's on, I mean, the guy completed 40 of 54 passes against Michigan State, and you say, wow, that's really good. Well, it's only four more passes than C.J. Stroud completed with 54 attempts against Nebraska. So Purdue throws it short. Uh, David Bell had 11 catches for Purdue, 217 yards against Michigan State. Uh, a lot of run after catch, not so much throw it down the field. I can't believe Purdue can beat three t- top five teams in a year, two of them on the road. But we'll see. I mean, we'll see. Certainly, uh, Ryan Day this week will be talking to all these Ohio State players and all the Ohio State media. I know how this is going to work. They're all going to they're gonna find, is there anybody on this team that played back in the Dwayne Haskins, Rondale Moore nightmare game at Purdue? Probably. Probably because Haskins played that game as a redshirt sophomore. Then we had two years of fields and a year of Stroud. Redshirt sophomore, redshirt junior, redshirt senior. I don't know. There's probably some Buckeye on the team in his sixth year. Tough Borland. No, I'm sorry. Tough's not on the team anymore. <laughs> Probably some Buckeye on the team who's on like the six-year plan. He's on like, uh, you know, the uh, never goes away plan. Seems like he's in his eighth year. Well, they'll get him to say all about how, yeah, you know, I remember went over there to Purdue and Purdue owes us. Yeah, Purdue. We owe Purdue. And uh, they'll bring back the ghost of Ryan Kerrigan and Terrell Pryor uh, all that. So Ryan will bring up all the Purdue, 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 Purdue. And honestly, you know, Purdue uh, beat Ohio State. Um, Purdue beat Ohio State more than Michigan has. But I wouldn't expect it to happen again this week. So uh, that's where we are. Buckeyes uh, drop down in the poll with Oregon hopping up to number four. Purdue 330 kick on Saturday. Uh, hey, Ohio State basketball starts on Tuesday. Did you know that? Ohio State basketball starts its season at home on Tuesday against Akron. Uh, Tip-off 6.30. Don't be late. Uh, Buckeyes, will Kyle Young play? Will Justice Suing play? Don't know. I'm anxious to get a look at Malachi Branham. Anxious to get a look at Joey Brunk and Jamari Wheeler. Anxious to get a look at those guys, the transfers, the uh, graduate transfers, or I don't know if they're grads, but they're they're in here, uh, from Penn State and Indiana. And uh, we'll see how the rotation shakes itself out. Anxious to see if Jimmy Sotos can add anything this year. Anxious to see the new hopefully improved Michi Johnson. And, um, yeah, I think Ohio State basketball is going to be pretty good. Big Ten is going to be a meat grinder. Big Ten in basketball is so much better in terms of quality than the Big Ten in football. It's not even close. It's not even close. The Big Ten in football is Ohio State and, what, 13 wannabes. The Big Ten in basketball is a rock fight, a rock fight every night. In the Big Ten. So, uh, Buckeyes with uh, Chris Holtman entering year five, and we'll see how that goes. You know how it's going to go if you are named in a legal action. It's going to go poorly if you don't have a great attorney. Fortunately for you, I can steer you to one.
You know who, Willis Spangler Starling. They're my firm. They ought to be yours. Willis Spangler Starling's firm is expanding. It's growing, but it's growing smartly, not, hey, let's just get bigger because we can. No, no. They're strategic, and they are always, always making sure that they never lose that personal touch that they have with clients. Will's estate planning, probate, personal injury, social security disability, employment law. Those are the biggies. They specialize in those, but they can handle any case that you have. They will take some cases on contingency, and they will do some on a flat fee basis. So call them, tell them you heard about them on the We Tackle Life podcast. Their website is willisattorneys.com, willisattorneys.com. Truman Boulevard in Hilliard, just north of the Mill Run, Home Depot, Target area, willisattorneys.com. I love being involved in high school football. You might say, well, you've covered Ohio State, you've covered the Browns, you've covered Super Bowls, Final Fours, National Championship games. What, Bruce, is cool, fun, or even worth your time going to a high school football game, sitting in the teeny tiny press box with no food, no internet, keeping your own stats, running around on the field afterward like a madman trying to track down a coach, players, and the opposing coach. I'll tell you, they're happy to see me. And it's not that I don't enjoy going to events where <laughs> they're not happy to see me, which would be pretty much any pro sporting event. They'd just as soon get the heck out of Dodge after a game. But I think that the thing about Ohio, about sports high school sports in Ohio that I enjoy so much, and this is true in any state, but this is the only state I've covered high school sports, is the community, the community around high school sports. It's really cool to see how towns get behind a team, to see how schools get behind a team. And that's just neat to me. I drove to a place I'd never been Friday, Eaton, Ohio. I covered Eaton and Milton Union football. It was a 13 to 12 game. I felt horrible for those kids from Milton Union that they didn't win that game. I'm thrilled for Upper Arlington and New Albany and Pick Central and Pick North and Big Walnut that are playing still and entering into the regionals. Um, I think that's awesome. And and the towns are they're in, the schools they're in are excited. And we got some really good high school football in Central Ohio and Western Ohio. Keep your eye on teams like Marion Local in Division Seven, Coldwater in Division Six. Tri Village is good. They got a really neat young man uh, named Reed Ware, who's a sophomore speedster. He's not a Division One kid. Well, he might be a MAC kid, but he's not an Ohio State type kid. But he's a great football player. Plays both ways. There's just a lot of great stories in high school football. So I would highly encourage you if you want to read good high school football. Excellent photography, nice narrative writing, not just mine, but other guys. PressProsMagazine.com. We cover the playoffs. We cover high State football, too. We cover Dayton basketball, Dayton football. We cover a lot of high school sports, a lot of college sports, and we do it in a way that I think is unique with splashy photographs and really good narrative writing. Like, think old Sports Illustrated back before it got woke and put a dude in a swimsuit on the cover of the swimsuit issue. Uh, yes, they did that. So, uh, love it. And uh, we got the regionals this week. UA against New Albany. Two 12-0 teams. The Battle of Picktown. Pick Central and Pick North. Pick Central, one loss. Guess who gave it to them? Pick North. They have a rematch. Marysville against Toledo Whitmer. Big Walnut in Division Two against Spielman High School. Massillon, Washington. Piqua against Edgewood 
and Tippecanoe against Bellbrook. Those are games we'll cover this weekend. And then uh, games on Saturday, too, and the state volleyballs this week. State cross country was this past week. I love high school sports. And hopefully um, you'll take in a high school game or watch it on Spectrum or wherever. But it's, uh, it's a lot of fun for me to watch it, and uh, I think you'll enjoy it, too. I want to shout out the high school athletes for a little bit. Uh, here's a little note on the high school football playoffs. We have seven divisions, four regions in each division. So that means there's 28 regions. And they have 16 teams this year make the playoffs in each region. They doubled the size of the playoffs. And people were going, oh, come on, this is garbage. Like, why are you letting all these 9, 10, 11, 12 through 16 teams in? It's going to be blowout city. And it has been. A lot of blowouts. But if it's if it's uh how much of the how much of the playoffs is chalk so far at the regional level? By chalk, I mean the four teams that made it are seeded one, two, three, and four. How many do you think out of 28 regions? The one, the two, the three, and the four seed all made it to the regionals in 28 regions across seven divisions. Got your number? How many did it? The correct answer is eight. Eight out of 28. So I don't know if that's a lot. I don't know if that's a little. I find it a teensy bit interesting. Uh, and there is one region... Division 5, Region 17, I don't know who the teams are, but I looked it up on the bracket today, that all four teams are undefeated. 11-0, 12-0, 12-0, 11-0. The best I could find otherwise is um, Division 3, Region 9, 12-0, 11-1, 11-0, 12-1. So there you are. That's where we are. Maybe more information than you're interested in, but I'm interested in it. (laughs) Hey, you're listening to this podcast, so hopefully you are too. Hopefully, you're also aware that right now is the period, the only period during the year, where you can change your health insurance. It's called open enrollment. And why would you let it ride and pay more than you should pay? Why, if you're a business owner, would you assume that your employees want health insurance? Now you're going, what? You're crazy? Of course they want health insurance, Bruce. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. I was educated on this by Chrissy at auiinfo.com, and that's the website I'm trying to get you to go to to take care of your individual insurance during open enrollment or as a business owner to let Chrissy and her staff give you a questionnaire to ask, that's a novel idea, ask your employees, hey, what kind of benefits would you like to have to come work for me? You'll be surprised to know, and I was surprised to know, granted, these are these crazy young millennials, a lot of them don't want health insurance particularly if they're under age 26 because they can still be on mom and dad's insurance. What kind of benefits do they want? Well, they want paid time off or they want flexible hours or they want an X, Y day off every week or whatever. But they might tell you, I don't need health insurance. So you might be paying for a benefit they don't even want or they won't even take. And you won't know unless you ask them and you won't ask them unless you go to auiinfo.com and have them give you the survey to ask your employees, what do you want? They'll make you a better, smarter, cost-efficient business owner. And if you're an individual, they'll get you better health insurance than you currently have, probably at a lower rate, probably at a lower rate. If not, stick with where you are. You don't ever owe AUI anything. They're paid by the insurance companies that they put you in touch with, and you pick those companies. They don't. And so AUI is free. That's, I buried the lead. AUI, free, AUI, free, auiinfo.com. A-U-I-Info.com. Free service. Take advantage of it. Don't 
waste it now to today's Battle of Ohio. Woo, man, I expected a much better football game than we got. Browns 41 to 16. Hello. Now, when the way this game started, I thought we are in for an old-fashioned as Jimmy Crum would say barn burner with the Bengals going right down the field, down to the shadow of the end zone, and no sooner do Jim Nance and Tony Romo get the uh, obligatory information handed to them no doubt on an index card out of their mouth, the Browns are the only team in the NFL that has not stopped a team in the red zone from scoring a touchdown, then Joe Burrow throws egregiously late to Jamar Chase, and Denzel Ward picks it and goes 99 yards for touchdown. Now, the Bengals came right back down and scored because the Browns' defense was gassed, and I thought, well, here we go. Here we go. But instead, that was pretty much all she wrote for your Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, they got run out of there, and it was a long, bad day. For Joe Burrow, um, I mean, his numbers weren't terrible, 28 to 40, 282, but the two picks, yikes, they were bad. Now, on the other side of the line of scrimmage, ladies and gentlemen, in the first week with no specter of Odell Beckham Jr. hanging over the Cleveland Browns, Baker Mayfield, or as I'm going to start calling him, Bay Caretaker Mayfield, went 14 of 21 for 218 yards and two touchdowns. Now, that's not going to grade out super good on the mysterious, never will I ever figure out how they calculate it, QBR. But you know where it looks pretty good? On the scoreboard. 41-16 looks pretty doggone good. His long touchdown pass to Donovan Peoples-Jones looked pretty doggone good. His touchdown pass to David Njoku on like third and goal at the twenty. Looked pretty doggone good. And you know what really looked good? Handing the ball to Nick Chubb. That looked good. I like handing the ball to Nick Chubb. In fact, I tweeted during the game, and a lot of you can't keep up with me on Twitter. I'm playing chess, you're playing checkers. I tweeted during the game, I would be a very boring NFL coach because I would give the ball to Nick Chubb on third and one and fourth and one 100% of the time. I tweeted that after I watched the Browns down in the shadow of the Bengals' goal line try some convoluted nonsense where they gave the ball to Jarvis Landry and Jarvis Landry tried to pitch it to Nick Chubb and it ended up a fumble. Nick Chubb recovered it because Nick Chubb is fantastic and the Browns got a field goal. But ladies and gentlemen, please... Hand the ball to Nick Chubb, and if and when he comes back, sprinkle in some handoffs to Kareem Hunt, who runs, I think, more violently than any other back in the National Football League. And let Baker Mayfield be Bay Caretaker Mayfield and not throw the ball ever more than 25 times. 14 of 21. Perfect. Perfect. Because Baker Mayfield can be a good quarterback. He may even be a quarterback you can win a Super Bowl with if you don't ask him to win said Super Bowl. Because I know you all want to believe that he is something he is not. But he doesn't have to be something he is not. 
given the talent they have surrounded him with. And I know that y'all were excited about Odell Beckham being here, but Odell Beckham is a guy who does not care, first and foremost, about winning. Now, I sometimes wonder about Baker in that regard with all his progressive commercials and his underwear commercials with Tigers and Rolls Royces and some of the other nonsense that he traffics in. But winning in the National Football League is hard. Ask the Buffalo Bills who got Urban Meyer today. Winning in the National Football League is hard. You don't have time to be thinking about other things. Axes to grind, grudges to repay, this, that, and the other. Do it as simply as you can. And as simply as the Browns can do it is to hand the ball to Nick Chubb. And when he's back, Kareem Hunt. And mix in some passes to all your tight ends and your receivers who are more than adequate without Odell Beckham hovering over the entire organization like a ominous cloud, okay? So it's not a mystery to me that the Browns played freely, spared the weight of Odell Beckham being around. That was a bad idea to get him, and it's a great idea to get rid of him, but I would not have released him, as I said this past week. I would have put him on the will not play because he's a knucklehead list. Or as I said earlier, send him to the Isle of Perpetual Tickling. Anybody know where that comes from? I can tell. I want to know if you email me. That'll show me something. If anybody can tell me, where does the Island of Perpetual Tickling reference come from? Send it to wetacklelife at gmail.com. Uh, there's got to be a Christian dad out there who knows where that comes from. The Island of Perpetual Tickling. Uh, but good win by the Browns. Bad performance by the Cincinnati Bengals. The uh, Brownies now are 5-4. and four. That was a must win. Had to have it. Couldn't go to 4-5 and five at the halfway point. And now we'll see. They're at New England. Will Odell Beckham be across the line of scrimmage from them? Then they get the Detroit Lions at the Ravens. And then weirdly, they have an off week. And then they turn around and play the Ravens again. They play the Ravens on a Thursday night. Have an off, like the mini bye. And then they turn around and play the... Ravens again. You're uh, sad to report your uh, Detroit Lions are uh, 0 and 8. 0 and 8. Uh, as for the Cincinnati Bengals, now 5 and 4 as well with the Cleveland Browns. They have not at all built on that majorly impressive road win at Baltimore. They now play at Las Vegas against the Raiders and then get the Steelers at home. And the Chargers at home. So the Bengals next three weeks, ooh, that's a tough stake to chew on because the Raiders, while they are a train wreck with the Henry Ruggs situation and the John Gruden situation, Derek Carr can be pretty phenomenal from week to week. Uh, we'll see. But the Bengals got to figure it out. They didn't have it figured out today against the Cleveland Browns, and that was a disaster from the minute Denzel Ward intercepted that pass and ran it back 99 yards for a touchdown. Now, in the faith portion of the podcast today, uh, I would like to share with you a story from the upper room the night before, the day before uh, Christ was crucified. I have heard this account of the upper room many times, but I never noticed today uh, one little word in the account of the upper room 
It's the smallest, relatively smallest word you can have uh, in a sentence. It is two letters, but it reveals the heart of Christ, and it grabbed a hold of me today because I felt the conviction of being not very Christ-like lately. Um, so here's the here is the scripture re- reference. So it says, this is John 13. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So he knew he was going to be crucified. In the next verse, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Okay, so how's he going to do that? How's he going to show them? the disciples, how perfectly he loves them. Verse 2, the evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So this is a familiar story. Probably if you've uh, spent any time at all in church, know the story of the upper room where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. He takes the posture of a servant. He does what a servant in those times would do, washes the feet of the people at the meal. The word I took note of was the first word in verse 4, the word so. So it links verse 3 and verse 4. What did verse 3 say? Verse 3 said, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and proceeded to wash the disciples' feet. And that hit me today hard. Jesus knew The Father had put all things under his power. He knew he was returning to God. So he knew that. And what did he do? Say, hey guys, this is my last night here. Like, maybe you ought to like honor me a little bit. Hey guys, you have any idea what's going to happen to me tomorrow? How about we like pray for me? Help me through it. Anybody got any words of wisdom? Like, come on, man, let's like, I need your help. No, that's not what he did. He knew he had all power. He knew he was returning to God. And what did that motivate him to do? So he got up from the meal, took off his clothing, wrapped a towel around him, and washed their feet. His last act with his disciples before being grabbed, taken away, beaten, scourged, spit on, insulted, stripped naked, nailed to a cross and crucified. His last act, knowing that everything on earth was under his control and that he was returning to the Father, his last act was to serve. To serve. That blows me away. And he underscored it when he got into this conversation with Peter. Because Peter, when he goes to wash Peter's feet, Peter goes, what are you doing? What are you doing? 
Jesus said, you don't know, you don't really understand what I'm doing now, but you'll understand it later. And Peter goes, hey, I know the, I know the pecking order here. Like, you're the son of the living God. You ain't washing my feet. Like, I'm not worthy to have you wash my feet. And Jesus says to Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Saying, I have to serve you, Peter. I have to wash you here as a metaphor for what's coming tomorrow. I'm going to wash you in my blood. I'm going to cleanse you of your sin by dying in your place for all the stupid, impetuous, braggadocious, egotistical things you've done and Bruce Hooley's done and everybody else in the world has done. I'm going to die for that to take the blame for that. And you can't have that washing, that cleansing, that forgiveness, unless you let me do it. And then you claim it as your own. Thank goodness he is not geared like me. Because I'd be like, hey, somebody get like the best pizza and somebody go get me a Costco chocolate cake and somebody go get me like a coconut cream pie from the Dutchman. This is my last night here. Take care of me. Enough about you. What about me? I need your help. That's not the mind and heart of Jesus. And so why did that convict me? Well, (sighs) true confession time. (laughs) You know, I have um, three girls. I've been lately having a little issue with how, well, I'll say one of them, just to give them some anonymity, because it is just right now at the moment, eh, it's kind of one and a, one and a half of them. They get a little, uh, little demanding from time to time, a little, um, little demanding, okay? Like, just, they got their things, and I'm glad they have their things, and sometimes the tone of voice gets a little out of kilter, and the, 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 they confuse what they would like to do with what they need to do. I need to do this. And I get a little, uh, I get a little hurt by that at times. I'll admit it. I get a little hurt because I get a little frosty. <laughs> I get a little frosty about that. And I get frosty because I don't think I'm sensing the proper respect for their mom and, yes, for me. And I've been thinking to myself, hmm, you know, it's biblical that you respect me. And how can I communicate that? Because I'd like to have a little more, a little more respect, a little more respect. I think I'm, I know I'm do that as their dad, right? I know their moms do that as their mom. A little more respect. And I read that scripture this morning. And our pastor, shout out to Pastor Rob. Pastor Rob asked a very simple question today. He said, who are you loving like Jesus loved? And I thought, wow. Like, that's a really simple question, right? And I mean, the answer should be, well, everybody. Like, I I mean, hey, man, I'm a Christian, right? I'm like a Christ died on the cross for me and forgave me. And I mean, I'm, I'm compelled to love everyone as Jesus loved. And he asked it like, who are you loving like Jesus loved? And I was like, whoa, 
I got to take inventory here and go through my relationships. And I landed on this one relationship with the child that I'd like to, you know, have the, the respect card played a little more. And I thought, funny, I've read all through the Gospels. I don't ever remember Jesus playing the respect card. I don't ever remember Jesus playing the, don't you know who I am? I mean, like in a, you, so I got that, so I got this coming to me. Like a lot of times he gave, you know, dire forecasts like, hey, a day is coming when, you know, you need to you know, sort this stuff out because the consequences of not are dire and eternal. But particularly with people closest to him, the disciples, sure, he had harsh words for people who were, um, who were steering others astray and keeping them from seeing the kingdom of God. That's who Jesus had harsh words for because he sensed the Pharisees and the Sadducees were, he knew they were misleading people. He knew they were lying to people. He knew they were um, taking people down the wrong path. That he got very upset about. But to the people like his disciples who were just thick and slow and not under, not understanding and and egotistical and you know they were a lot of times in it for themselves he never played the you know what man you know what man peter you better respect me dude like i'm washing your feet like you better like thank me for this peter he didn't do that he didn't do that and i can't do that either doesn't mean i'd allow my kids to disrespect me of course but my Response to that has to be out of love because, hey, look, you know, there's a right way and a wrong way to talk to your father. Let's just, let's be careful to be biblical, and I'm, lo- I'm going to try to love you like Jesus did, and I'm going to ask you to do the same because that's what Jesus asked you to do, not because I'm asking you to. So there's a way I can respond to my kids that is Christ-like. And unfortunately, there's a way that I respond to my kids that's Bruce-like. <laughs> and the latter is not good. Is not good. Or certainly not as good as the other option. So uh, that's what I have for you today in the uh, faith portion of the podcast. I hope it's good for you in a uh, sense of your relationships. And maybe uh, to get you to think about who are you loving like Jesus loved. Thankfully, man, he loved me, and I am continually blown away by that. And I'm blown away, too, that you guys would take the time to listen to the podcast. I hope it strengthens you. Love to hear from you. We tackle life at gmail.com. We tackle life at gmail.com. Talk to you again on Wednesday. Have a good first part of the week.